All right. Good morning. Lord, first I just ask that you would, for, uh, before anything else, that you would first and foremost, that you would prepare me to um, be removed of myself and have nothing in anything that I'm doing that is um, desiring anything more than to deliver your truth. Uh, help me to not misspeak. Lord, as always, I just want to do nothing but glorify you, to represent you accurately. And Lord, I ask that you uh, help me to do that as we discuss things of authority um, within the authority that you've given to me. I ask that you would open every ear to hear what it is that you have to say. And we just give you this um, this time, this this platform to speak, Lord. We welcome you here. And we ask that you truly minister to our spirits. In Jesus' name. So, um, as Donnie said, um, last week we were talking about, we, we introduced um, the, the beginnings of this discussion of authority with an end goal in mind that I'm not going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from spoiler alerts to where we're really going, but the point of this all is with a focus on, with an awareness of and an understanding of, of authority. Um, and so last week we, we did introduce that. We talked about um, some, in, in, in mind, I've got seven levels of authority. We're talking about the first three last week. Uh, Jeanette did put that online. So if you, if you haven't listened to that, then I urge you to go and do that because otherwise I'm going to just leave you in the dust. Um, but last week we covered uh, sovereign authority, voracious authority, which voracious, that's, that's truth, the authority of truth. And then below that, we started to look at the conscience and I see that as we um, progress down those things, it kind of starts to get uh, maybe a little bit harder to accept those things or really grasp those things or even know that we believe those things, that we're supposed to believe those things. Um, so we, we, I think we can see that God is absolute highest authority. That's a, an easy phrase to say as believers. We know that. We even say it because we just know that we're, that we're supposed to, that there's nothing higher than the authority of God. But it is actually challenging to live that out. We don't fully succeed in walking out our lives with God as that authority. Um, we've all, whatever it is that we put above God, that is the thing that we have that authority. And so the, the, you know, the analogy is that whatever it is that we place on the throne, we're dethroning God and that thing is, is in that place. So that's a challenge I think that we can admit that we have. <clears throat> and then I know that in our hearts sometimes we can really question the authority of Scripture. We can even, um, that we have, I think, a little bit less of a problem saying. Like we don't, we don't ever want to say anything that has anything to do with removing God's authority. Scriptural authority, we, some people I, I feel like get a little bit more kind of wavering on that. So in our hearts, we might even kind of question some of those things. Um, now, I myself, I make no apologies about the fact that I've said it over and over and over again, and I will, I will always say it, that I do approach Scripture with absolute, total authority, and I always look at it that I'm going to align my thinking with that. So whenever I'm approaching Scripture, if anything challenges me or anything jumps out and seems like that doesn't line up and, and uh, match my understanding of who I think God is or what I think a good God is or what I think God would do. I don't try and fit that into my understanding. I pray that the Lord 
fit my understanding and, and readjust what I perceive or see or, or, or think um, about God, that I, 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 I ask him to renew my mind and align me with that. I, I, I will say that I feel like in the, in what I've witnessed um, being in the church for 24, five years, I don't know, a, lot of, a long number of 20 plus years, 25-ish, I think, that to me, I, I do feel like it's become more and more and more acceptable and okay in areas to really just dismiss things that are straightforward scriptural because we, we just explain them away or something, you know? Um, like I believe in a little, I, I believe in a literal creation. I believe in a literal timeline of, of God's creation in the way that the Lord speaks it. It's okay in, in church to not, to, to not see that. Or it's, you know, it, it feels safe to not see that. Uh, but then we get to conscience, and I saw it yesterday, um, or last week, I mean, that as I'm looking out and I'm talking about that level of authority, everyone's like, yep. And then I talk about the level of like, truth being authority, and everyone's, yep. And I go, and then below that is your conscience. And everyone was like, what? I just saw that that was a completely different, not everybody, but I definitely saw those looks across some faces of like, what are you getting at? What are you talking about? That's, that is definitely an increasing level of challenge, right? That's, that's what I witnessed outwardly was watching this increasing level of, that's a more challenging thing. So as much as I want to move on to the next thing, and I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hit on, on I'm going to talk about the conscience more, and then I'm going to go on to some next things. And then I was like, you know what, I'm talking about conscience a bunch, and then I'm going to go on, I'm going to introduce the next thing, and then I'll go on to that. And by the time I was done, just be forewarned, guys, this whole thing, I'm staying on conscience. I'm just talking about, I'm just staying on that this week. And that's where God kept me. In my mind, I was going to move on. I've, I've had my plans, and that truly is not where the Lord let me move on to, so it's obvious that the Lord wants me to stay discussing these things about the conscience for, for longer than I had planned on. Um, Jeanette sent me something yesterday when she was, yesterday or Friday, when she was at the homeschool convention, and uh, it was just a really, when I wrote back to her, I said, wow, that's sobering, but it's a very startling, sobering, scary, I guess, um, statistic, and this statistic that she got uh, in the seminar or the workshop or whatever that she was in, it was shared there uh, um, by a professor from the Arizona Christian University. Uh, the quote, the, the statistic, and this is, a, this is a quote from that professor from the Arizona Christian University, is sadly only 9% of born-again adults in America espouse the basic principles of a biblical worldview and only 2% of their teenagers do. So that statistic that's talking about Christians, it's not just talking about the rest of the world, and this is a thing that I'm, I'm, I almost feel like I'm just done talking about what the world is doing because it's a big enough problem where we're at inside the church. It's a big enough problem where we're at as Christians. So that, that's saying that, that people that would say that I believe in God, I'm a born-again Christian, that 9% of those people actually hold a biblical worldview. That's 91%. I'm following PEMDAS to get some really complicated math solved for you guys here. That's 91% of adult Christians do not hold a biblical worldview, and 98% of their teens don't hold a biblical worldview. So if you don't know what a, a, a worldview is, that's how you look at the world. That's your view of the world. It's a complicated word that means that it's how you view the world. That's sarcasm. 
It's not complicated. Uh, it's how you think it operates. It's why you think things happen the way they do. It's what you think your purpose is. Um, and there's different worldviews that, that people hold. Um, so an example of like an atheistic worldview is that, you know, they, atheists, they don't believe in God. They believe that um, everything about creation is, um, uh, the creation of the universe is, um, and life and everything within creation. It's all just randomness. Uh, there's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no absolute right. There's no absolute wrong. That truth is, flu that truth is fluid. What's true to me is true to me. What's true to you is true to you. That's an atheistic worldview, right? But how much is that also, didn't I just get done to, that's really so much what I'm hearing inside the church as well. Truth is, it's fluid, it's true to, you know, it's kind of, I'm, I'm literally even hearing in churches that, um, that there's no help, there's no such thing as, there's no such thing as help. Well, I think that's dangerous because you should be concerned. Um, you know, other worldviews, karma, I won't get into all, all whatever stuff, but a biblical worldview is that God created He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There is absolute truth, whether you believe it or not. Even as I explained, there's things that I don't yet know that I believe them, but I know that they're absolute truth. If that makes sense. Like, I, there's things I don't know, but I know that I'm going to believe it when I come upon it. I'm going to go, when this corrects me, when this shows me something new, that's absolute, that's absolute truth. And I, I just, I don't wrestle with that. Um, I believe that there is a heaven and a hell. I believe that what God calls sin is sin that Jesus is God and took our place on the cross, paying the price for our sins, died and rose again. Salvation is only through the blood of Jesus. And that's a, that's a, that's a free gift that I receive only by the shedding of his blood, by the price he paid. So what I'm saying is that 9% of adult Christians believe that. They believe what I just said. Our worldview, it determines our behavior, um, I mean, right, our, our worldview determines how we process things. It determines how we respond to those things. It's going to dictate our actions. It's going to dictate to us the things that we're doing. So I want, there's something that occurred to me this week, all you young, all you teens, and I don't know what, how the youngest I have in here. I don't know if you guys realize that every single time that I'm ever praying for the Lord to show me what it is that I'm, that I'm sharing, uh, even how I'm feeling it, develop and going in whatever direction he's leading me and I'm open to that. I want you guys to understand all you, you young teens and kids and everybody all, um, that there's no part in my mind ever, not one week that I've ever thought that I'm just speaking to the adults in here. I'm speaking to your parents and then you guys are just in here just and I'm hoping that you're going to not make too much of a ruckus and whisper too much and be distracted too much. In my mind, in my, in my prayer time, in my preparation time, I'm all of this stuff, the things that I'm thinking about that you guys as well. I only say that because just listen and know that I'm speaking to you. Know that the Lord is speaking to you, that those are, these are things that Lord is revealing to me and I'm seeing these things as he's revealing to me, knowing where he wants these things to be heard. And it's you guys as well. Um, but let me ask, this is for the, for the teens and don't, you don't have to answer. If you want to, you can answer, but you don't have to. Um, but definitely answer it in your own heads and think about it for a second. In, your, in the world that you guys now live in, what are you guys even allowed to say is sin? What convictions are you allowed to hold on to? So in other words, what views 
when we're talking about worldviews. And so in that context, what views would you say that you're able to take a stance on that oppose the views of your peers? When I think about this first, I think, oh, well, you know, everyone in, I think, I think everybody in, is everyone in here homeschooled? And so I used to have this idea of, well, you're only going to, this doesn't, doesn't, it's only in public, so you're going to get it. No, because 98% of you don't hold a worldview. 98% of our teens don't hold a biblical worldview. Right? Let that, you guys are better than all the other kids, but I'm just saying. Um, and no, the hearts, not, not every single kid is homeschooled. Um, but it's not, it's not just, this doesn't, I'm not speaking to, to, it's not a special thing that I would speak to a separate group of people. I'm now just saying this is just everybody. This is just applies to everybody. Um, so last week we established that going, to, that we go to scripture for truth, right? That God writes his laws, that God writes his laws on our hearts, right? I didn't establish that myself. I went to scripture for that truth that I established was truth. See my circle, my circular but I didn't make anything up. Scripture tells us that God writes his laws on our hearts. And that's one of the things that we looked at to start getting into conscience. And we only looked at a few scriptures, right? We looked at Romans chapter 2. We looked at Romans chapter 14. Um, and that's where we see that, it's, that, that Paul is talking about how God writes his laws on our hearts. And even those who haven't received the law will be judged by what? How they responded to their conscience. That's weight. That's weighty. That's a big, that's a big thing. But something, um, I, I'm gonna, I will say that God showed me something really unique and different that I've never seen before this week when I was preparing this. And that is the absolute unique challenge that the younger generation faces. It's unique for us too, because as things get different, we start to, we let compromise in, we, we start to view things differently. We say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's not what I used to think it was. That's acceptable. That's not so bad. That's fine. But the Lord really did show me a completely different thing than I've ever seen before, and that's the unique challenge that this young generation is facing. So I've been aware, as anybody, and I've said it over and over, that the world is really changing rapidly, and our, my unchanging views, our unchanging views, these are, now they're extreme because of the, how the world has changed. Um, we adults have all seen and understood that if we see the world with a biblical worldview, then suddenly we're becoming, it's now that we're hateful, that we're intolerant bigots, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we see that if we just stay where we're at. It's, it's super negative. But, and it doesn't even matter how many times we say it. It's regurgitated and repeated over and over and over again that in reality, I believe this, that the most hateful and intolerant people are those that we encounter that can't stand the fact that we're Christians and hold to our convictions. That's where I experience real hatefulness, ugliness, um, intolerance. It's just simply by people that don't like the fact that I am a close-minded, in their view, I'm close-minded because I, I am. I'm close-minded to anything that doesn't line up with this, and I don't apologize for it. I am close-minded to anything that doesn't line up with this. <clears throat> but I, am, I couldn't be more open-minded to anything that lines up with this. I couldn't be more open-minded to, to this authority. <clears throat> so... Anyway, that, that challenge that the Lord showed me this week for our teens is that your challenge is way different than, uh, than, than anything that, 
the world conditioned us with in the way that we grew up, if that makes sense. So when I was growing up, if my conscience told me that something was wrong, pretty much everything that my conscience told me was wrong, it was okay to think that those things were wrong. So I'm definitely not picking on any, on any one thing. But when I was growing up, if I believed that, homosexual, that homosexuality was unnatural and that it wasn't the right order of things, whether I brought a biblical view, I didn't have a, a, a biblical view of that when I was younger. But if my conscience told me that that was unnatural, my intellect didn't argue with me, right? I didn't, I didn't battle with that intellectually because, uh, well, if my, if my conscience told me that pornography was wrong or infidelity was wrong or abortion or any number of any, any of these immoral things, big list of whatever's immoral, my conscience told me that was wrong, uh, that worldview didn't strongly disagree with me. I didn't have this challenge of my conscience tells me something, but I'm processing it with the things that the worldview is telling me is completely different. And there was no hatefulness in it. I don't remember, I never felt hateful towards anything that I am now told if I have a view of this, I'm hateful. No, I'm not. I was never hateful towards anybody. If anything, I should become, as I start walking more closely with the Lord, I should be more disturbed by things and hate sin more and see it for what God says it is. I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to be accused of being a hateful person because I'm absolutely not. I don't, I do not hate individuals whatsoever, but I wasn't angry. I wasn't, uh, you know, there might've been some bigotry in there. That's, that's possible that, that, you know, growing up, we experienced things that are just, they're wrong. They're bigotous. Um, but I just knew right from wrong and it was tolerated. It was tolerated that I knew things that were right from wrong. So those beliefs were widely held and you didn't have to be a Christian to think that way. So your guys' challenge um, and I'm, I'm speaking about this in light of the level of authority that your conscience has or that your conscience is supposed to have is that your intellect, your reasoning, the world around you tells you so much more so that your conscience is wrong. So your conscience is seen then by your soul that it's wrong. That's, I don't know if you guys can grasp that, but when I saw that it was such a completely different challenge. So if your conscience prompts you in something and the Lord, your spirit speaking to you, the Lord speaking to you, and that thing is a good thing, everything else about you that makes you up is telling you there's something wrong with you for even thinking that way. There's something wrong with you for having that view of that thing. And so you have to almost feel dirty about having a good, a godly way of thinking about things. So what's that look like? And again, I'm not picking on any one thing. This is an a easy big topic because it is so prevalent in this world that I'm extreme. So if your conscience tells you that homosexuality is wrong, the rest of you tells you that you must be hateful. Furthermore, there's actually something wrong with you for even having it in your spirit that you young men were created to be with one woman and likewise you young women were created to be with one man. So my conscience tells me that homosexuality is wrong and my intellect agrees, my reasoning agrees, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm immovable. I won't move on that because I already have that rooted in me for a long time established. You guys are established in a world with something completely different. You see the challenge I'm talking about? So if your conscience tells you that abortion is murder, the rest of you tells you that you're a hateful person who doesn't believe in women's rights. My conscience tells me that abortion is murder and my intellect agrees with me, my reasoning agrees with me, and I'm not gonna move on that. No one can move me. Now you can falsely accuse me, you can lie about me, you can shame me but I won't move. I, I, there are some things that I am just absolutely immovable on, and that, I believe, is exactly how I'm supposed to be, right? 
God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our culture, our society, our shifting weird, moving morals, they don't change that. So God's not hateful towards man or any sinner, but you better believe that he does hate sin. Uh, The reason that God hates sin is that sin is like a sickness. It's, it's, if it's unchecked and you're unrepented, it grows in you. It grows like a cancer. I've sinned. I've definitely committed sins in my life that those things sit and bury inside of me and they feel like an infection that is just cancerous. And I have to deal with that. It's crippling. It's harmful. Its purpose is to break our fellowship. I see that plan of the enemy so many times of when I map that plan out and look, what is the enemy trying to do? It's breaking things. It's breaking fellowship. It's breaking my fellowship with him. It's breaking... Uh, it's, it's damaging relationships with others. It's hurting my, it's, the, the plan is to hurt, it's harm. Um, it's to make us callous. Even as, as LG talked about last week, when you sear something and you, get, you lose that sensitivity to it, you're unable to hear from God and his still quiet voice. Um, and God knows that, right? He already knows that sin causes death and destruction and he knows that that's what he's... Let me just sum it up this way. I don't know when it was that I realized this, but at some point in my walk, I started to see the things that the Lord had put in place as not strict, stern, angry, dictator, stern father things. I started to one by one see these things as, well, he wouldn't want me to do that because that thing's just going to cause me harm. He wouldn't want me to do that thing because that thing's just going to cause me harm. And I started to have this different view. And now I will say that there is absolutely not one thing in the law. There's not one thing in God's ways. There's nothing. There's nothing about our Lord that we serve. There's nothing that he places in our hearts that isn't for the purpose of protecting us or protecting somebody else. That's the only reason for it. There's no, there's no, I don't want you to enjoy this thing and I'm going to, I'm going to rob you of that. No, I don't want you to be hurt in this thing. Okay. Hear that. So, Okay, I started talking about spirit and soul, and I don't know if you guys heard that, and maybe we're like, what? what is that? What is that thing? I think a real disservice that we've done in it is a, I can't spend forever on it because it's a whole nother thing to, to delve into, but it's one thing that is a, a harm, I think, to us Christians is that we, we, we don't have this understanding or this view of how it is that we're even created, that we're even that three-part being. We just look at everything as it's just... I just operate on this level that I operate on. But no, we are an actual three-part being. I won't get into it, uh, but I'll hit on it briefly, and you can go get some scripture to support this. But we're made up of spirit, soul, body, right? So you've seen the illustration, or I've seen the illustration, where there's we're made up of three parts, and in the, the center inside is our spirit, outside that is our soul, and outside that is our body. And that's what makes us up. So spirit is where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It's where we commune with God. Um, I noticed last week that I do this a lot because in my mind I see something here. <laughs> so anybody who ever listens to this, there's actually nothing that I'm pointing to. I'm pointing to empty space. Um, I saw PEMDAS written on here last week, by the way. It was actually on here in my mind and then I was listening to it later and I'm like, were they looking where I was pointing as if something was supposed to be there? Because nothing was supposed to be there. I'm pointing at nothing. Um, uh, but spirit is where the Holy Spirit, you know, our, our spirit being, that's where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's where we commune with God. It's where you hear those things of like spirit speaks to spirit. That's where our conscience lives as well, though. That's where your conscience is. 
Um, our soul, that's going to be, and that's outside that, that's going to be our intellect. Um, with our soul, that's where we think about things. We process things, we reason, we consider, we remember, we reflect, and, and you know, we experience emotions. That's where our happiness, our love, our sorrow, anger, relief, compassion. That's um, where you are able to go to resolve and choose and make decisions. That's, that's your soul. And your body is just that very outer part of that, and that's your, that's your five senses. It's your outermost part, and that contained within that is your soul and your spirit. And your, you know, that's your sense of smell, your taste, your sight, hearing, feel. Did I hit a mole? But, okay, if, that's, if you're having a hard time following, I'm gonna, this, is, this is a breakdown that I, that I processed. And this can work both ways, but I didn't, I didn't map it out both ways. But you can have something that comes at your senses from externally, so it hits your body first, so it hits your senses first, and then you can start thinking about it and processing it, and then your spirit can speak to you and be like, okay, that's, or your conscience just hits you. Everyone has experienced that, where all of a sudden, you didn't process something, you're not thinking about something for a while, you're not reasoning anything out, you just know something. You're just like, oh, that's wrong. And then you start to reason it out, you go to the, the reverse order. You go reason it out, and you're like, well, it's not so bad, and it also feels good, and those things, whatever. So, okay, you see something. I'm going to be sensitive about the things that I'm saying that you see because I know we got, there's younger whatever, but you see something. Okay, you see something you're not supposed to see and your body likes the way that that thing made you feel. You see something and you instinctually, that's a good, that, that's, a, a, you like the feeling. And then uh, um, your soul, your intellect, your reasoning starts to process thoughts about that and you make a determination of how you're going to proceed. So now you're, you're on that soul level, that's you, it's where your will is. And so hopefully you've got a good conscience that tells you, stop, that's going to harm you. It felt good. You thought about it. You, you want whatever, but stop. That's going to cause you harm. That's going to damage you. It's going to cause you harm. It's going to harm you or somebody else. And I, hopefully you get to a point where your intellect agrees with you. I think about where, and we talked about it here before, where Paul is talking about that you should have been, um, how does he say it? Basically what he's saying is that you should be mature. You should be mature enough in your walk at this point. You should be mature enough Christians that you're teachers, but yet you, you're still just getting milk. You should be basically your baby still. You're still getting milk. Um, I see that in, even in these lights of, I should have a mature enough, I should be mature enough as a Christian that my intellect doesn't always battle in trying to reason out my conscience. I should be mature enough that these things can, can line up, right? I can start to see, well, it felt like it was my, con my conscience told me it was going to be bad. I got a good conscience. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord, and I also am mature enough to know that that's true. I'm not going to argue with it. I want to make this clear. Your conscience, and you young ones, you can hear me right here. Your conscience is not your decision maker. You don't make your decisions. Your, your conscience doesn't make your decision for you. You've been given free will. And so when people are like, I don't know, why doesn't God do whatever I have free? Free will is where you make those decisions. Your conscience just directs you in it. And if you have a good conscience, you're going to be directed in a, in a good way. Your intellect, your will, etc. those are the things that the soulish man is going to reason out, and then you're going to make a decision. Right? You're going to go one way or the other. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Mind and conscience. Soul, spirit. I want neither to be defiled. 
if you're reading that, you can see that, can my conscience be defiled? Yes. Is there such a thing as wicked, evil spirits? Yes. Is there such a thing as you walking in a way and responding to things that is not the Lord speaking to you? Yes. So be fully aware of, I do not want to step into a dangerous area of saying, hey, if your conscience spoke it to you, listen to it. Because your conscience can be defiled. It can be a... But when we don't understand how these things work, we just see everything as like one big thought process. You just see everything that's all working on the same level, and I'm just... Everything is me reasoning something out. Everything is me thinking something out. My conscience is that. My conscience is responding to my intellect. Or, you know, you just get this idea of all these things are just operating on the same level. I've received some information. I've got some experience. I have some wisdom. And I'm all, it's all just this process of working out. But if you can break these things out and understand how it works, you can start to assign the appropriate level of authority to your conscience that better be clean and better be good. Um, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Um, so you have to see the level of authority that your conscience has over your soul and over your body. And you have to understand the importance of the discipline of taking care of your conscience. Because this the same reverse side of that. Your conscience has that level of authority. It has that much rule. Well, then you better really take heed to be so disciplined in how you're taking care of your conscience that it's going to be a good conscience. So what happens when your intellect tells you that the things your senses are experiencing are good and the things your conscience is telling you is bad, that's a really great challenge that you guys face. Because like I said, I had that, I think a lot of us had that thing where our, our, our intellect didn't go tell us that our conscience was bad. But the world and the church has become more and more convinced that the things of the body, the soul, and the spirit are bad unless they accept and tolerate and are basically gray in all areas. Don't take a stand. Tolerate everything. God is love. Let me just have a real sloppy understanding of God's goodness based on how I process that and what looks good to me and what a good God would do. And I'm going to reason that away with my intellect. And we've gotten to a place truly within, within the church, and that is the scariest thing to me, is it's, like I said before, once you start, you can look at the world and say, oh, it's been bad for however, it goes up and down, and there's things the world has dealt with, and there's all this, but I've never seen the church like this, where the church has become so compromised and so corrupted and so convinced that the things of your body, soul, and spirit are bad, unless those are things that are tolerant and good and just gray. You're not black and white. Right? 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So Paul is talking in straight, direct terms. The context of this, by the way, is doctrine, um, and I can, I can get into that and make that really make sense right in line with what we're talking about, but he's talking about this commandment. This context is doctrine. But Paul is talking straight in direct terms about a clean heart, a good conscience, and an increase in faith. The number of scriptures that talk about and, and address your conscience and put this weight on your conscience, it's throughout. I only brought two last week, but it's throughout scripture. If you jump down to verse 19, it says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. The one I just read? Uh, that's 1 Timothy 1, verse 19. 
Um, right? Having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. These are one of those things I think that we're so, I, I do it all the time. I'm reading scripture and it's almost like I'm getting to, I'm going to get till something actually speaks to me. And you just read it 50 times and Paul's flat out saying that having faith and a good conscience, let me put it this way. If you reject that, which some have rejected, if you reject faith and a good conscience, it's going to lead to spiritual shipwreck. Do you guys see the weightiness of that? In 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, First Timothy 4. In Scripture, verse 1 through 4. Sorry, that was my impersonation of an old-time minister. Now the Spirit expressly says... <clears throat> Dang, COVID. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. I don't know where I was reading all of that too, but... Um, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Do you guys see that where it says speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron? Giving heed, before that it's talking about giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There's a weightiness. We talked about searing conscience last week and I really liked that I, I was able to stumble upon the scripture that literally talks about, that has that saying in there about searing, searing your conscience. Having your conscience seared with a hot iron. Um, I heard, I, I had no time to research it, um, but I have heard that, that the, the way that this, is just, that this is broken down, if you look at it in the Greek, that the way that that is talking about that type of searing, that it could translate to a type of searing that is uh, like a branding with evil branding with evil you picture searing you just, you brand your animals you burn something in you you place that there you guys hear the intensity of you could have your conscience branded with evil you could have your your conscience seared to the point of that it's not just even like what we were talking about last week of grabbing something hot and getting burned and having that callous and you lose that sensitivity and you're not as quick you know that 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 analogy or relationship to this sense of feeling something get seared but the weight of that conscience which operates at that level of authority in your life of allowing that thing to be branded with evil because you haven't followed all the rest of scriptures which we've established as truth to nurture a good conscience right? have you guys are you not seeing that the way I am Hebrews 12.25. Hebrews 12.25. And let me just make sure that I am right about what I said. 
Yeah, Hebrews 12, 25. I'm not sure where I'm going to stop reading, but you'll find out when I get there. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if you do not escape who refuses him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Where does the Lord speak to us? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What it's talking about here, when it says things that are made, that's things that are that we've made, those things that are man-made. Those are things that, let me put it this way, those are things that are not God. Those are things that God did not place there. If you're, if you're looking at that in a conscience context, um, there are things that have been placed there by ourselves, been placed there by our flesh, by our soul, and they're not placed there by God. And this is saying that there's a shaking that's going to occur and it's going to remove all those things. These shakings do occur. These shakings happen. And these shakings occur for God to remove the things that aren't of him, the things that he didn't place there. So I'm going to close with that. And my closing thought is that we need to allow ourselves to be shaken. And kids, young ones, teens, allow yourself to be shaken and to not allow yourself to be shaken and let the things not of God be removed from your lives. Start to see the weight of those things that are placed there, the things that you don't, that you don't, if any area has been seared, I, I, I truly believe, and I will say to you that there's none, there's nothing, there's no area of our lives that's, that you can't repair, that can't be restored, there's nothing that the Lord can't do in you that you can't be fully, completely, 100% renewed. But you've got to allow those things to happen. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, what did he do? He ran. I remember one time we were, I heard someone say something about uh, a Ponzi scam and he said it with intensity, it was a metaphor that he was using, but don't, walk away from this thing, don't ignore it, don't just whatever, run from it. Because he was trying to emphasize the importance of the danger of this thing, run from it. And what are we told we're supposed to do from sin? Run from it. Flee from it. Get away from it. That's exactly what Joseph did. Joseph is flesh. He's a, he's a man. I, I love all of the whole story of Joseph. I, I'm not going to go scripturally back this up, but he's still a man, so he still had senses that are responding to things. Right? There's, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't assume that he did, but I shouldn't assume that he didn't have some temptation from Potiphar's wife um, that he didn't have some fleshly rising up response that something wasn't like, yeah. but he responded immediately when he saw something and he recognized and he knew this was sin and he ran away from it. So I urge you, examine what things in your life cause you to stumble, cause you to sear your conscience, cause you to allow the things not of God to have any authority in your life. The Bible says, this is in Matthew, the Bible says that if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. 
it's intense. That's not, we're not physically actually going to pluck our eye out. But what it's saying is that if there is something that causes you to stumble, something that causes you to sin, if it's your eye is looking at these things, remove it, remove these things from your life. I just recognized the, I, I saw it so much more this week and even this weekend of the real challenge and the difficulty that you guys, that you guys have. I'm not addicted to any social, I'm not addicted to social medias whatsoever. There's no, did I say that like an old man? I'm not addicted to the social medias. I don't, I don't do any of the Snapchats or the Twitters. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, yeah, we don't tic-tac it. Um, but, you know, I got a decent number of hours on ESPN.com. <laughs> Jeanette went and looked at it. She's like, how many hours are you on there? Like, well, it's a couple. Um, I just think that the, uh, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of, tra- like, the number of tractor websites that I went on this week as I went and tracked what it was that I was spending some, some, some time on was, that was a lot. But I need that. I need to know, I mean, that's an investment. Come on. Um, but I really do feel for you, for young ones especially, that you've just grown up with this thing as such an extension of you. For work, I have it on me all the time. When there's not something going on, I don't actually have that big of a problem not being so incredibly hooked to this thing. And like I said, I, I don't feel at all like I need to stay in touch with anything socially going on. I don't need anyone to approve of something and like something. And But I recognize and feel for you guys that you have such a different level you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to see something that aroused you visually, you had to go, you had to go find it somewhere. Now, if you just wake up, it's right there. There it is. Boom. I can see whatever I want to see. I can be satisfied in any fleshly and feel good, any temptation, any satisfying of my senses or my emotions, my body, my soul. It's just right there at my fingertips. So I was going to close. I'm going to go ahead and close. I don't want to be too crazy and extreme, but yeah, you know what? I do. I do want to be crazy and extreme. If something is causing you guys to stumble, get rid of it. If something is causing you to stumble, remove it from your life. If it has to be as extreme as I, am, I don't like what the thing is causing me to do, get off of it. Get away from it. If that's not an option, if that's not possible, you can't do that. Put yourself in a situation where there's some accountability. Put something where there's some restrictions on you. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Okay, I'm done. Lord, I ask that you would um, I ask that you would do whatever it is that you that you need to do, Lord. I ask that we would be nothing but open to receiving and um, moving and walking forward in our in our lives and our walk with you in a right understanding of the way that you've created us to be and that we would begin to see these things and maturely reflect on these in the, in, in the number of years that we've been walking as Christians, that we would begin to see and understand the level of maturity that we're supposed to be walking in, the level of understanding that we're supposed to have of these things and how we're supposed to see these things and be able to even be teachers of these things. I pray, Lord, that that you would more perfectly than I will ever be capable of doing, that you would speak right straight to our spirits with that authority that only comes from you that would truly reveal to us those areas where we need to hear you and respond to you and quicken our, our, our conscience, quicken our spirit to be so sensitive and so ready to receive 
and that our, our, the rest of everything that we do with that self, with our soul, with our, with our will, that we would respond in that way, that would move in that direction of that prompting of how you lead us, Lord, of how our spirit leads us, of how our good conscience is supposed to lead us. I pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.